what's the next thing I could do that would be really safe? Maybe just good for me. Uh, what would be something I could do that would be bold? Uh, and then name it and to say, okay, there's a distance between me and there and understand what's in that distance. And then say, what would be super risky to do? And uh, I'm telling you the craziest thing is that sometimes the thing that people that might be listening think is super risky turns out being the safest thing. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. And I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. Hey there, it's Miles, and I am so excited about today's guest on the Living Centered Podcast. Many of you may know about this guest because you've probably heard me talk about him before because I am constantly inspired by the impact his passion for people, life, and dreaming big has on the world. I am so humbled to call Bob Goff one of my closest friends on the planet. He is a New York Times bestselling author, founder of Love Does, speaker, pilot, gatherer, connector, dad, husband, grandpa, and he and I are partners on a new venture uh, with the Oaks out in Southern California. And recently I got to sit down with him to record this episode, and it felt like in so many other times I've sat down and had a conversation with Bob. I just left inspired, encouraged, and challenged to take riskier, bolder leaps towards the things that make my heart come alive. I'm so honored to share this conversation with you guys today. Here we are, my friend, Bob Goff. Hey, Miles. It's so good to see you. I'm looking at you here on Zoom, and you're looking good. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. I'm excited. I'm excited to see you, but I'm really excited to see where you are because I happen to know that corner of the world right there. It's the Darlington Theater, and I haven't gotten to see it in from this angle with that new backdrop being black. It looks beautiful. Here's the other thing I'm loving. Just to your right in my screen is the one and only Lindsay Nobles. Yes. So fun to be here with y'all. Here we are. I know, I'm just eavesdropping on y'all's conversation. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about the Living Center podcast is occasionally it feels like three friends sitting in a living room. It feels like we've done this before. It's true. I love the beginning to Peter Pan. Uh, it asks why the swallows make all their nests up in the eaves. And it's so they can listen to the stories. And I think that uh, this podcast is going to be such a hit because of the stories that you'll tell. I think we've got most of the information we need. It's just the stories of how do we integrate that? And one thing that both of you bring is a ton of authenticity in my life. That's how I've experienced you. And as soon as you set those as the rules, like we can be super real, then it's like, okay, let's just, let's talk about the way it is. It was just hitting me sitting here looking at both of you that the first time I met Miles was actually because you invited us both up to British Columbia, Bob. No, was that the first time? The first time I met Miles. Oh. So I guess I should thank you for wow. putting me here. You've done such a great job of bringing people together. No, I think we're all just figuring it out. And all together, we make one really well-adjusted person. Uh, but it <laughs> takes all of us <laughs> with all of our little picadillos. And you guys know me well enough to know mine. Part of what we love talking about on this podcast and just everything that we do out of OnSite is trying to live into your best life. I know you have helped a lot of people do that. I'm a beneficiary of that from being your friend. Um, you know, I know there's a lot of things people know you for, buddy, but one of them is just helping people uh, realize, get clear on and chase down their dreams. You've been on a mission the last several years. Uh, well, really longer than that, but I think you've really formalized a cool process the last few years. And I've been able to bear witness to so many people that have benefited uh, from just the way you live and lead and, and love on people. And I know we've actualized a dream. We're doing one of those together. And most dreams actualized come with uh, setbacks. And so I'd love to hear from you um, just some of the dreams you've been realizing and also some of the setbacks that have come along with them. Yeah, I'm just because I'm a lawyer, I'm just going to do it in my own order. What I think about is the setbacks. And I think the biggest setback for me has been some of the rules that I made up for myself because I didn't understand something. So I made up a rule to help me explain something. And it turned out the rule wasn't true. 
And so one of the things that I've learned by spending a bunch of time at onsite would be that to revisit some of those rules, to take a week and to just take a deep dive and say like, so what are the rules you made up and why was little Bobby Goff, who was eight years old, making up that rule? We had a really interesting exercise. We brought a group through here the last three or four days and Stephanie, who was kind of leading that part, she said, everybody grab two rocks. And so on the rocks, I want you to write down the things that you feel like you need to pick between. Uh, and you can only pick one of them. And so I wrote in uh, on one rock, I said more. And on the other rock, I wrote better. And uh, because I'm a flaming seven, I just like more is my resting position. It's not more accumulation. Uh, like I'm not trying to save dollars. What I want to do is like save some lives, actually move the needle in somebody's life in Afghanistan or across the street or just more of that. And then the pull towards better, I think we all want that. I, I don't know anybody who wants to do a worse job at living. But what I felt like is when she said you need to pick between the two, I did just what I did when we were talking. I said, I'm picking both of them, more better. <laughs> I should make a hoodie. I'll never have to work another day in my life. I just want to do more better. And, uh, and so what I want to do is revisit the rules that we've made. And a lot of that comes from spending a bunch of time, you know, out, out at onsite and around people that are thinking the same thing. So this virtual version of onsite just sounds beautiful, people. I hope you'll find more and do it better. Yeah, thanks. And I think what you're referring to is, when, what you're calling rules, uh, we might call a script, you know, or, or there are these uh, things in people's lives that we get imprinted along the way. And I like that you took us back to what you said, little Bobby, but I think we've all got uh, younger parts of ourselves that got imprinted in some kind of way. And a lot of times we'll move through the rest of our lives, uh, looking at uh, life through those filters until we get an opportunity to just step back, evaluate them and make sure they still fit and clear the parts that may be getting in the way. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, you would see somebody, I'm a pretty upbeat guy, uh, but you wouldn't think that I've got this like thing just underneath the surface, just wondering about when I'll be rejected. Is that crazy? You'd be like, no, wait a sec, you're like the happy balloon guy, but not far under the surface is that thought that eventually you're rejected. And I know where that comes from in the family tree. You don't need to dig very far <laughs> to say like, oh, wow. But it was really freeing to know where that comes from. So you can call BS on it. You can say, no, you're not, you're not going to reject me. Um, I'm just calling BS on that. But you got to see it before you can like call BS on it and to say that isn't true. I don't know where that came from uh, growing up. But then uh, having spent a little bit of time around people like the two of you, I've learned that this is where it comes from. And as soon as you can identify that, boy, that what a neat thing that kind of breakthrough is. I think I know there's a lot of people that can I would make up uh, relate to that. I certainly can relate to that rejection script. And a lot of times for me, it has kept me playing it safe relationally or sometimes um, I can go back and, and look. And there were times in my life where I was kind of risk adverse uh, or putting myself out there and. I, I know everybody responds to things differently. Some people go all in, some people might hold back and everything in between. But I think a lot of people who face the idea of rejection would uh, be slow to put themselves out there. And I have never experienced you that way. I've experienced you as just a risk taker. You go for it and you're okay with failure and you'll get up the next day and try five things again. How have you done that with that rejection script to be able to understand it, but also bookmark it and not slow you down from taking risk? Well, you guys are teaching me a ton about horses recently because we have this equestrian center that you and I are doing together. And uh, I got to send you the news actually yesterday. You got the text message that we have. Somebody gave me this horse and I don't know, it was brown. Looked fine to me. They said it was like a famous horse, but I don't. it's brown. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, they got the pedigree out for me. And this is the great, great, great granddaughter of Secretariat. <laughs> oh, Wow. Nice horse. More oats for you. Well, when I was feeding uh, this horse, uh, I put the little biscuit on my hand and the horse comes in with their little porcy lips and grabs it. And I was a little tentative. So I started curling my fingers up. And that's a great way to get your fingers bit. You can only count to eight and a half. So what I'm learning is to keep your hand flat. 
And I would say, flatten out your hand with some of the fears that you have. Maybe say, if I'm afraid of rejection, if that's the script that I'm hearing, how can I flatten that out a little bit? To say, I want to be a little less tentative because uh, when I curl up my fingers, it's halfway to taking it back. And I think the horse knows that. And so if we could just realize it just I just want to be flat because if my hands are flat, if I am palms up, then it's going to go well. And there's something beautiful about that kind of surrender if we can do that ourselves. And I know I'm constantly trying to surrender things, my pride, my fears, my but I got to see them before you can surrender them. You can't just say uh, in some faith communities, they say like, you know, I give it all to you, but you don't know what crap you've got. <laughs> you say, Let's figure out what you got and then give it over. And there's something really beautiful about doing that. And to say, we're not the average of our five most insecure friends we have. <laughs> we're not our big success. We're not our big failure. Where we are is just being fully present and saying, I'm just going to not curl my fingers up. I'm going flat handed. And to say, what is it that I can surrender? And there's good and bad surrenders. It was the end of uh, World War II. And over the crackly radio station, the emperor of Japan said, put your weapons down, stop fighting. But it was kind of crackly. And uh, half the people heard, keep fighting. <laughs> That's a bad surrender. Uh, there was a famous Indian warrior. Uh, they went to surrender. They got all the white flags out and they went in. The people didn't know what to do. So they started shooting at them. That's a bad surrender. And the same thing will happen to us. We can't give that kind of control to somebody else to decide what we can surrender and when. We need to just go and flat-handed ourselves and say, I'm ready to let go of this. You can't pry it out of my hands. And you guys have uh, shown me so many different illustrations for trying to pull somebody over to an idea. But like, those are just like baked into my head now. Yeah, I know for me that realizing some of the scripts that I was living into, like you spoke of, like fear of rejection, that always plays out differently. And so I'm curious, I sort of would overcompensate or undercompensate for you, how before you became aware of it, how would that kind of show up, the fear of rejection? Yeah, what I would do is I'm a pretty, you know, gregarious guy. So I'd be like, hi, how are you? How are you? And uh, engaging people, but underneath all of that, I was thinking eventually they'll be done with me. Yeah. So it kind of prevents you from being all in at a deeper level. And so what you end up doing is spending a lot of time snorkeling and not a lot of time shipwreck diving. You know, so I'd spend a lot of time in the top one or two feet of a relationship instead of saying, let me go 40 feet down and see what's there. Let's see what's hidden. Let's see what's in the cave. And so if you're afraid that you're going to get rejected, you're not going to go deep. And so I would just say a great thing for people to ask is, uh, you know, what's keeping them shallow? There was a bunch of minnows behind our house that was on the surface of the water. And I was at, walking out on the pier and they were just going nuts. And I realized there's a big fish underneath them. That's what's scaring them shallow. And because I think in those terms, I'm like, buddy, what's oh, scary? Really we just got to figure out what's the big fish. Like, are you afraid you're going to live in the back of your car? Are you gonna, afraid you're going to live in the back of your parents' car? Maybe a realization that you're not your dad. You would think that that would be self-evident, but I just needed to realize he's a great guy. He's just him and I'm me. And so to just realize that God never compares what he creates and he created me and you, Lindsay, and you, Miles, to be different. I just want to come and bring that gift without trying to curl my fingers thinking, well, Lindsay, maybe you're smiling at me now, but you'll reject me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. To say like, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to surrender that too. If I've done something that let somebody down, I'm just going to surrender. I'm going to try to not do that, but uh, I'm not going to just stay shallow. I'm done snorkeling. It's beautiful. I think we're, you know, we're interviewed, we're having this conversation in the midst of, you know, our global pandemic. We've been in that for many months now what we're seeing is a growing collective level of people grieving parts of their story and parts of their life in this season that they thought would be different. There were so many of us that thought 2020 was going to look a certain way and it's not looking that way. And, and frankly, you know, the two things that the brain fears the most is feeling isolated or being out of control. And we really have no idea when and if things might be, get back to some level of normalcy. And I know it can be valuable 
uh, to collectively have permission to come through seasons of hardship and, and grief. And ultimately, it helps us actualize and live into the rebuilding phase. And I don't know, you've, you've guided and coached so many people that are going through difficult seasons as, as I have, we have. Um, but what have you found to be supportive with you or others when it comes to the rebuild? I think so many people right now are asking questions about, I'm going to have to rebuild parts of something and let go of things that just didn't work out the way that I thought they would in this season. Yeah, a lot of people that know me know we spent like 20 years building a lodge out of essentially kindling. Uh, and, <laughs> and somebody made a mistake in my perfect Boy Scout, my uh, 7,000 square foot Boy Scout campfire caught on fire and it was gone in 20 minutes. It just all burnt down. So we all have that decision to make. What do you do next? It's a relationship. It's a job. It's a promotion. It's something that you're really hoping for, good health, and it burns down. And so what I decided to do is buy a really big crane and start swinging logs. And so this crane is 150 feet tall. I got to put you on this thing, Miles. It is an awesome rope swing. <laughs> I'm in. But I just started swinging logs, and we did that for the next four years, and we've rebuilt this place. And I actually like the original one just fine, uh, but I like this new one better because it's more like current version, expresses who we are as a family. I built the first one, and I had kids that were you know, learning how to spell cat. But now what I'm doing is I have grownups and they're married and they have kids and all that. So I built something that's more fitting for where I actually am now. And I'd say the same thing with our lives to say it's like this idea of being a new creation. No religion gets dibs on that concept. But in my faith tradition, it's like new day, new Bob. So what's something more fitting? What's a, I know what my capabilities are. I got a bunch of pieces of paper that say I'm a lawyer, but I'm not going to do that. New day, new Bob. I'm a cowboy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know why? I got a horse that's related to secretariat. <laughs> I'm a little bit big to be a jockey. So I've ruled that out. <laughs> but one of the things that I want us to do is to say, well, so what do I have? Like, and what are some actual uh, limiting things? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not coordinated enough to play for the NBA. I'm too big to be a jockey. So why don't I be a nice guy? I know, like, I just think there's something really beautiful to say life ambition, nice guy, mm -hmm. but hopefully not just a nice snorkeler. I want to be a scuba diver. I want to be like, go there. And you told me first, Miles, this idea that you can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. Mm -hmm. So because you've gone deep with me, then I'm willing to go deep. I know uh, those of you listening, but Miles did uh, a like kind of very like soft intervention with me. I hadn't spoken to my sister in 34 years and two months. <laughs> and he said, do you think it's about time? And I'm like the balloon guy. I'm like everybody always except my sister. But in a really nice way, he said, man, do you think you want to revisit it? And here was a beautiful thing. I wrote a letter and, uh, and, and I put it in the mail. And it's been a year and a half now. And I didn't get a, a letter back, but it didn't make me the victim and it didn't make me the hero, but I was actually a participant. And I think that's one of the things that on site I've learned from you guys is to just show up and be a participant in figuring out who you are, identifying those things that are holding you back, getting real with them, and to find really safe people. What I've done in my life, the, the reason I like this place in Canada so much is we've got 50 waterfalls on the property. The, the tallest one is 2,500 feet tall. Like that's a waterfall. And what I'm trying to do is surround myself with people that see more waterfalls. You don't need to be in British Columbia to see the waterfalls. People that see the things around them, their heads on a swivel. They're looking for opportunities. They're seeing the needs. They're seeing what, like you so famously talked about what hasn't been said. They kind of see that you saw that in me and you said it in a really nice way. You didn't T-bone me. You merged into traffic. You got into my lane. And you said, wow, what does that feel like? And they've said, like, what would be the next like uh, step in that? And I think that's one of the things I hope for people listening, that there's the things that are really safe to do, like uh, talking to you guys, like super safe to do. There's other things that are bold for us to do. And there's still other things that would be risky. I was talking to a friend who bought a house in a really nice part of Southern California. Uh, and he said, yeah, that was really risky. I'm like, 
dude, this is a house in Southern California. That's not risky. <laughs> it's only going one way. It was bold, but it's not risky. So what I would say is safe. what's safe, what's bold, and what's risky. And let's pick one thing in each category. Mm. What do you think? What, how about you, Lindsay? I'm putting you on the spot. What's something safe is doing what you're doing right now? I think it is. Is this pretty safe? I hope so. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely feels safe. Okay. Yeah. So what would be bold and what would be risky for you? So how would you define the difference between bold and risky? Risky is costly. Costly. Bold, like I'm going for it. Yeah. It's not really costly. You know, it might cost you a couple bucks, but it's not a bad day isn't really a bad day. Yeah. I think, you know, like bold would be having probably an overdue, like hard conversation with a friend. Bingo. What do you think? What would be bold for you, Miles? Hmm. Having a third child. That would be bold. So <laughs> everybody like just like could identify that. There's probably 10,000 people listening and they all said like, wow, we could just feel the authenticity around that. I think people are looking for people who will make and articulate bold moves because I just saw 50 waterfalls when you said that. Didn't you, Lindsay? Yeah. All the waterfalls just showed up. Like that's idea. Like that's what I want us to be as a community where we can create safe places, which is what you guys have mastered. And then we can have these conversations and then we can say, this is a risky thing. I can't even put words to, but it looks mm -hmm. something like this. And I think you just, you guys just help people find better words. I know you've done that for me. I like what you, you asked as far as that clarifying question, Lindsay, because I was sitting thinking, you know, that's the first thing that popped in my head because I've, I've been interested and curious about it, but there's a lot of reasons why it would be a bold and risky move. And I could give you all of those. I could lay out all of the reasons why we should, and I'm not even sure that we could, you know, but just to even go for it, you know, age, you know, just all these uh, external factors. But that's one, I like that when you ask a question like that, it kind of makes you cut right through to like, well, what's true here? And we don't have to decide if we're going to do it. It's just what would be a bold move for you right now? And there's something freeing about just like, oh, it was like an exhale to say it. Yeah. It's like your, uh, your lungs have a greater ability to breathe in oxygen when we can identify that. Because then we have everything in context. Because you have a fixed point. You go like, you know what uh, you're doing. And then you say, this would be a bold move. And that's not discounting the safe stuff. That's terrific. I think we need a lot of safe stuff in our life, but I think we need to give a couple spins to bold and one or two spins to risky. Mm -hmm. And I think they live in a beautiful tension with one another uh, because the risky like just pulls out the courageousness that we didn't even think we have. And what God will do is drop someone into your life uh, who will call that out of you. Mm -hmm. Like he called Peter a rock when he was actually a wimp. <laughs> It's like, I've never even heard of the guy. He's like, you're a rock. Uh, but one of the things I want us to do is find people that see the waterfalls. They see our potential. And they're not just blowing sunshine at us. They're not just saying, you can be like whatever. Um, but so like, you can be a jockey if you want. I'm like, oh, that poor horse. But one of the things that people will do is they'll see something in you that you don't quite see in you yet. And I think that's the beauty of what Onsite Unlocks every week. Mm. Bob, one of the things that I think you live into well, which you just kind of talked to us a little bit about how you get there in terms of your process, but is finding meaning and value in what you do. A lot of people right now we've experienced and Lindsay and I have seen both signing up for our digital efforts and also coming to our main campus is that they are succeeding on paper in life and in their profession, but they don't feel happier for it. It's some of what they're doing is lacking meaning. And, you know, you walked away from an uber successful law firm and literally tossed the keys to a partner and gave it away. And then you started chasing meaning with doing good things around the world. Why do you value meaning? Here's the thing. I think there's a lot of people that have a big balance sheet and no balance. <laughs> You've got all these things that have gone great. It's the uh, accumulation of a lot of successes. And then uh, the way that we work here on earth is we used to give people puka shells and then we gave them like beaver pelts and now it's just cash. <laughs> and so what we've done is we've accumulated condos and convertibles and all this other stuff that actually make us feel comfortable. And they're great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. 
But what we lack is balance. And balance for me comes with the authenticity uh, of having relationships that would call you from what you're capable of to what is possible to do. And so I feel like I've been surrounded by some people that have, you're one of them that's called that out of me. We've been in Iraq together and Somalia. We've been in Mogadishu and <laughs> you know it's time to leave the rooftop in Mogadishu when you've been shot at. But what I want to do is not think about doing it across an ocean, but how could we do it across the street? Uh, because uh, that's where we live. That idea of loving your neighbor and starting by loving yourself, like knowing who you are, being self-aware. So for me, uh, some of the successes in practicing law were actually turning into impediments in doing life. I was like pretty good at like uh, people and juries and all that, but I was getting kind of isolated, like to your point. And it's kind of a cruel reality that some of our capabilities can isolate us, even in the mental health space that you guys are in. But you have a couple of people that help you see more waterfalls that get you like looking at the things that might be possible. I didn't have an interest in a lot of the animals that run around here on the property until somebody pointed out that's a red fox. And I'm like, oh, now, now I've got like a, a handle on that. It isn't just a critter. The red, that's a red fox. Mm -hmm. And so as we like get to know more about our surroundings, more about what's going on inside of us and around us, man, that's where all the good stuff happens. So I feel like the headline for 2020 for a lot of people would have been something to do with viruses and all that. But it's like, for me, it's like uh, Bob wakes up to more possibilities. Mm. And it's not just because I'm an enthusiastic guy. I'm just looking for waterfalls. Mm. Uh, and it's not just the yippee skippy happy stuff too. Like I'm, I mean, I tried death penalty cases against witch doctors. <laughs> I've got gears. But I want to also at the same time like kind of find a lot of my joy in returning home. Um, and so for me, the big move has been first uh, leaving a law firm and uh, at the top of a big high rise uh, and then saying, well, I'm just going to spend time at home and then being pulled away in the most delightful way to many, many cities to visit with people. Uh, but then realizing, ah, I'm not home again. So we just did that full Cortez thing. We just, it was January and we canceled 72 speaking events. <laughs> I said, I'm out. It's before anybody sneezed. Uh, and I just said, I'm out. And it was about that time we were taking a, a big jump into doing the Oaks together. And, uh, and that's why, like, I spend about six days a week up here. I got up at 5.30 this morning because I wanted to see the sunrise. So I drove up to the toss. I have an old Harley. I drove it to the top of the, the biggest hill I could, and I just waited for the sun. I'm like, waiting on you. And old Bob wouldn't have done that. I would have been so busy trying to help everybody else. I wouldn't have taken some time for me to see a couple waterfalls. And you know what I got? I got a sunrise out of it. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many sunrises I get left. I think I'm fit as a fiddle. But if it turns out not, then, man, I was just like, I bagged another one. That felt really good. Practically for people, how, how do you think they can get started if their life feels out of balance? I think so often people just feel are so in the murk of it and they feel overwhelmed or they feel lonely. They don't know who those people are that can help them see the waterfalls. Where do they get started? You're reading my mail. That's how I feel all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and people go like, no, 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 you're just saying that. But no, I get super lonely. Is that crazy? And I'm surrounded by people. And have you ever, can you identify that where you're in a big room full of people and you feel like you're the only person there? Yes, for sure. It was like being in high school and it felt like at the dance and my arms were too long. I had too many freckles. I just like, I felt like, ah, together alone. I would say, find something really practical, like send a, uh, like a text to a friend and say, how about Starbucks on me? How about five minutes of just uh, an authentic conversation about how you're really, really doing. Uh, and we'll just like leave it right here. That's one of the beauties that I experienced at Onsite. It was just, I knew the conversations weren't going to get shared beyond those walls. And um, I think if people did that, figure out where they are, kind of find your feet. <laughs> and if you, you do whatever it takes to find your feet and then to say, why did I come? Like, why am I here? And then remembering why you're here to move towards that. Do you know what's crazy, Lindsay? We get 27,373 days. 
Is that crazy? On average, uh, if you less if you eat pop tarts, more if you eat broccoli. But twenty seven <laughs> out of three seventy three, and then we just have to say, how are you going to use yours? So take your age, multiply it by three sixty five, go four hundred if you want to do some fast, painful math, and then. Uh, subtract the last thousand days because you're going to be trying to keep this thing together. <laughs> you're just trying to keep the wheels on. That's what you got. That's where you are. And you know what? I woke up this morning. I'm like, I'm going to see a sunrise because later, I mean, people are going to think nice things about us, but we're not going to be around experiencing it in the way that we can right now. So I just want to take advantage of that. And I don't think that is a bummer. I think that is like opportunity. I just figured out where I am and and it helps inform a lot of the decisions. Quit the law firm, quit speaking, offload some stuff, write down a couple thoughts. Buy a camp. <laughs> Buy a camp. Get um, a horse. Feed the horse. Uh, <laughs> Race the horse. <laughs> yeah. you, you just did a good description of kind of what the Living Centered Program, which is a workshop we offer here at the on-site campus, and then also just this, this podcast, the idea of just living a more centered life. And then also we just put something new out called rediscovering you. And that's really everything you just talked about is a coming home uh, to ourselves. Cause ultimately I think what we find out is home is really, doesn't really exist out there, but it's, it's exists in here. And uh, when people come here, you know, for a few days or a week at a time, or hopefully when people even listen to a conversation like this, that we're inviting them into a process for a moment to be able to strip back some of the layers or imprints or uh, lines that the world told them that they needed to be so that they could really rediscover uh, who they really are. And we always tell people after they've experienced the program here that the world may not feel like this to you, but the idea is that you will go begin to feel like this to the world. And I believe that's the coming home uh, process is when uh, that that sunrise that you got to see this morning is becomes a priority in the mix of everything else that we could go accomplish. And you know, for, for me, both of you know, because we're all friends here, that I had some, some you know, health challenges at the beginning of the year. It was just some curveballs, and it, it kind of sidelined me for a, a period when I didn't I had no business being sidelined. I, I, I felt like I was, I've never been more needed professionally than in the last several months. You know, at on-site, trying to keep the train on the tracks there, we, we got this new incredible venture we've launched out at the Oaks, and here I am at home can't even read my computer screen. And I'm like, what the heck? Why, you know, why now? And ultimately my doctor, part of what I got prescribed was uh, you can't overwork your brain cognitively right now because it needs kind of rest and presence to heal. And your job is part of every day is to go do things that don't overwork your system, but that actually fill up your system. And I was like, wow. I mean, that was pretty revolutionary for an actual medical <laughs> Western practicing yeah. doctor to say. But what happened <laughs> for me was I haven't stopped doing that and I'm fully recovered. You know, I'm back in the swing. I'm back in action. But every day, part of my day is allocating to go finding a sunset or go sitting with a horse or go walking through the woods. All that stuff really matters to me. And I didn't realize the last few years I've kind of let it slip away and went down the priority list. And I hope for a lot of you listening that uh, it doesn't take adversity like that to invite you to come home. But I would also say don't waste adversity uh, because it can be some of our biggest gifts. And just so happens, collectively, we're all in the middle of a big cloud of it right now. So I think we've got an opportunity here in this coming home to ourselves to come out of this thing uh, better than we came into it. Yeah, I think this idea of just not waiting for permission to do things that we have permission to do. Uh, if you actually knew you had permission to go there, you'd say like, wow, that's okay. So when you put out a little thing on Instagram about the new course that was coming out, oh, sweet Maria Goff, she signed up for it right away because mm -hmm. it's not easy living with Tigger. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so as I'm ricocheting off the walls and all that, she just knew that this would be, without knowing the details, she knew it would be a trusted conversation with some safe people. Mm -hmm. And so surround yourself. It's just another way of saying people that see waterfalls, people that lead with their palms up, people that know where they are. I think if there's a theme in this, it's that self-awareness. And then once we get self-aware, it's not just, uh, you know, psychobabble. It's just like to be actually self-aware 
and then to say, okay, and so what's the next thing I could do that would be really safe? Maybe just good for me. Uh, what would be something I could do that would be bold? Uh, and then name it and to say, okay, there's a distance between me and there and understand what's in that distance. And then say, what would be super risky to do? And uh, I'm telling you, the craziest thing is that sometimes the thing that people that might be listening think is super risky turns out being the safest thing. Like, so for instance, it'd be like quitting a job would feel really risky so I could spend time at home. But that's actually the safest thing you can do. And I wonder like, how in the world did that get in the super risky category? But when it's actually the safest thing. So until I saw that, I couldn't see that the safest move I could make would be to do the riskiest thing I can think of. Uh, and that would be to like economically sever my ties with uh, some income. <laughs> <laughs> Bummer. But I got a horse. It's secretary. It's great, great granddaughter. I'm like, whatever. We'll sell the horse. <laughs> <laughs> we got to win a race first. We've uh, People do know you and you're obviously one of the quickest witted guys I've ever known. That's what I love about you. I laugh a lot when we're together. But I also, you know, we've shared some tears together and we've uh, had some real sentimental moving moments. And, and you know, we've been together before and rode around and, and never said a word, just hung out as friends. And what, what do you, you know, outside of sunrises, which you just shared, what do you see right now that really just could move you to tears in a minute? Well, the, the easy, the low hanging fruit is the movie Rudy. So if you have not cried in a while, if you watch Rudy and don't cry, you're not alive. Like, just don't even take your pulse. But one of the things that I want to do is be willing, like we were talking about, to dive a little bit deeper, not scuba dive over some issues, but to ask a child, ask a friend, uh, say, is there something that I could be doing that would honor our friendship better? Am I, am I missing anything? in there to just create the really safe place. Uh, what we've had is people in our past, they gave us this thing that I think Satan came up with the words constructive criticism. There wasn't anything constructive at all. It was just criticism. So if you just find somebody who could just say, you know what, uh, what I need is, and to just to set up, it feels a little contrived at first, but to just say what I really need is, and it causes your friends to say, what do you actually do I need? Yeah, I, I feel like I've gone through seasons where I've got a lot to give, like relationally to people, and then seasons where I probably am needier relationally. And it's sometimes hard because I feel like we can get stuck in ruts in certain relationships where people expect us to be always the giver or always the needer. And so how have you kind of learned to balance that out? Yeah, you don't want to become a caricature of who you actually are. Yeah. If uh, you two are cast in the role of, you know, you're on site and you're the people that know things. And so I'm going to come and back up the truck and like dump all my stuff, helping you can hoping you'll sort it out. Then uh, if you're actually kind of needy to say, actually, this isn't a time I can actually receive all that you have to give to me right now <laughs> to feel like you would be self-aware enough to say, you know what? I just need you to tap the brakes for a second and uh, uh, let's uh, visit next week if we can about that, if that'd be okay. I just want everybody to know that you have permission just because somebody has something to visit with you about doesn't mean that you need to take it right then. I usually get a calls all day long and I've gotten five while we've been talking from the back of these books where I put my cell phone number. And if it's a call at like two in the morning, I'll answer it. We'll have a brief conversation. I just want to make sure if the person's okay, because if they're not okay, we want to like give them, get them to the places. And it's not me. They can make them have them dial 911, get a friend if they're thinking, but if they're not willing to do that and they're really not okay, I tell them, call me tomorrow at 1145. And I've got a little alarm on my clock at 1140 and I clear the decks because most people just need some sleep and they need to have something to look forward to. And so I just know 1145, that would be anybody who called in the middle of the night uh, feeling a little bit desperate and lonely, just clear the decks. And there's something really kind of holy about that, like clearing a little space for ourselves. You can tell like the what's important to you by looking at the pages of your life. 
And I just know that from 1140, 1145, 1150, that's kind of time I've set aside uh, for people to know I'm accessible if you happen to be that person. And I think there's something really beautiful about finding that kind of cadence in our lives where we're just, I don't have the answers. I would point them towards people like you. But the one thing I am is available and I'll take the call. We're known for our opinions. We're remembered for our love and availability. No more. Yeah. You mentioned books, and I know there's probably a lot of people that uh, listen to uh, us and follow on site that may not know your work. So we're going to let you know about those from Love Does, Everybody Always, to the latest bestseller, Dream Bigs, all amazing, inspiring work that I think everybody here would really enjoy. Uh, and then also this this new dream where we had kind of a merged dream. Uh, you've, you've alluded to it a time or two. We haven't really talked about it. You're there. Uh, I definitely want to just carve out a couple of minutes here towards the end to talk about what that experience has been like uh, for you. I'm happy to share what it's been like for me, but I just, I think there's beautiful things that are born out of uh, just authentic friendship. And I know for me in this season, uh, I want to do more things uh, that matter with people that matter to me. Uh, this is just that simple. And it doesn't always have to be super clear or make all the sudden I want to spend time more time with people who matter to me and do things that matter. And that's what this ended up, uh, this merged effort that has evolved into this beautiful space called the Oaks. You know, initially it was a couple of buddies sitting on airplanes and sitting around talking about what we wanted to do in this next season of life. And you mentioned some of the life goals that matched up for you, meaning, you know what, I want to want to be home a little bit more. And then I've got a, a girl that matters a lot to me that's from Southern California. And we've got a lot of alumni that matter a lot to me from Southern California, from California in general. And we've always dreamed of, of, of doing something out there. And suddenly um, I get a phone call one day and you take it from there. What is, tell us about the Oaks. And Yeah, it's this uh, place where when I was trying to get Sweet Maria to notice me, which I'm actually still working on. She uh, was taking some high school kids up here to be the volunteer work crew. And so I got some uh, high school guys in a big hurry to be the work crew guys. And then we ended up kind of starting this romance that 34 years later, they put a for sale sign in front of this place. And uh, we, uh, I gave a phone call to you. You were my first call. And I said, let's go do this thing. And I don't even think if you've seen a picture of it, you'd be like, I'm in. And there's something that happens with uh, with the friendships like this. This thing to the acre when we bought it was the size of Disneyland. Isn't that great? Which is so appropriate. We're like one Matterhorn short of being there. Uh, but now we've expanded all these areas that are adjacent to it. And now it's bigger than twice the size of Disneyland. Wow. And it's still maintained the same kind of vibe that has... Uh, uh, there's 17 horses down in the uh, stalls right now, and they're training. All the little jockeys are running around. There's a horse racing track to practice on. There's uh, uh, people that are coming here. There's We converted it. The, uh, my favorite part of changing this place was taking out uh, all the bunk beds, and all the Skittles fell out of the bunk beds. <laughs> and it smelled like 40 years of 14-year-old boys had lived there without bathing, uh, so we stripped it down and turned it into about 52 suites. And uh, we've been having people come up here and just connect with things that are important. We're just, we are your student over at OnSite and what you're doing. And we just hope to make a nice platform for people to do more of that and to get what they need. We'll have two jars of rice, no doubt. <laughs> you take a handful, you leave a handful, whatever it is that you need. Well, that's, it's, it's a, absolutely breathtaking, beautiful space. We're so excited, Lindsay and I, to get to, you know, all of the family at Onsite to get to partner uh, with the Oaks on this venture. And it, um, I don't know, you're right, I didn't see it, but when I first drove up to it, it just kind of took my breath away. And I, I love spaces uh, that help invite meaning and purpose into people's story. You know, we've been doing that in the hills of Middle Tennessee for many years, but now, uh, to get to create something really beautiful and special out in Southern California is just incredibly exciting. And it's ironic and kind of cool. I've always probably gotten on better and, and communicate with four legs better than I do people, but uh, horses have always been so special to me. And it turns out our first residents were horses <laughs> because we couldn't host people yet. So we got horses instead. 
Uh, but now we've got a beautiful equestrian center and this retreat space is just stunning. We hope to eventually host some on-site programming out there soon. And we're already doing some other cool stuff uh, through the Oaks itself. You know, another neat thing too, is that when you and I then put our heads together, there's another mutual friend of ours uh, that decided like, let's just jump in on the fun. And Jamie and her husband, Paulo, like they, they just said, we're in. I just love how once you start moving in a direction, that it just starts being like this Greek wedding. It's like you put your hand on the shoulder of the person in front of you and say, Opa! <laughs> you say, like, let's just, let's go. There's something beautiful. And it's not moving to one particular destination. It's moving forward. And that's what makes the beauty of this thing, to find a couple of people that you want to do life with and say Opa every once in a while and put your hands on the shoulders of a person that you trust and then just start moving. I can't wait. We're, we're hoping to have Jamie on this podcast as well. And I can't wait to tell that story about how we all merge because that's a beautiful story too. I just want to make sure she gets an opportunity to tell it. It's awesome. Hey friends, Mackenzie here. I'm interrupting this conversation with our friend Bob to share a little bit more about the new venture he and Miles just mentioned, The Oaks. The Oaks is a beautiful retreat center located in Southern California. It hosts everything from weddings to corporate ventures to large family gatherings. We've been dreaming of ways to bring on-site programming to the West Coast, and this year we are thrilled to host several in-person emotional wellness offerings at The Oaks. In the coming months, we will be hosting several new and very exciting personal growth workshops as well as therapeutic intensives. If you'd like to learn more about the emotional wellness offerings coming to On-Site at The Oaks, visit www.onsiteworkshops.com slash the oaks or connect with our admissions team at 1-800-341-7432 now back to the show well i know uh just the way you're you're living buddy and what you've shared today is going to be so inspiring for so many people and um, as it relates to just the concept of living centered which you know we live in that world a lot um what would be, you know, just here's a, here's a, you said a lot, I think that would support people into living in that space, but what would be just a practical say, here, here's my tip for, you know, living a centered life. I would say uh, to being open to having more shared experience with people. I'll give you the example. The first time I heard about living centered and the program, it was through Don Miller who had gone through it. And then he wrote a book called scary close and then asked me, if I would write the foreword to it, I'm like, oh, Don, I'd be so honored. And then he said, but you have to go to onsite first. I'm like, oh, heck no. Like, <laughs> a thousand times no. And then sweet Maria, who had gone to onsite, mm-hmm. said, buddy, like your issues have issues. You need to go. <laughs> Reluctantly, I went. But the reason I went is because I wanted to have one more thing in common with this woman that I love. And so I think if we can get outside ourselves enough to say, even if this is something that would be a new and uncharted, you're listening to this and you're hearing about it, uh, which I'm not trying to be an infomercial, but I'm the guy that didn't want to go. And I just feel like I went and walked away, just changed. And part of it is because I wanted to honor my wife. I just wanted to do that. I wanted to honor a friend, Dawn. Um, uh, You and I uh, have become just such great friends and I just, if you want to live a life honoring the people around you, then get your stuff together. It doesn't need to be in a big hurry, but to like lean into it, to say, you got, I mean, I'm lonely, I'm insecure, and you are too. (laughs) So do something about it. (laughs) Like get some input from some trusted people, put your hands on their shoulders and just say, where are we going? And they'll go like forward. Just trust me. Oh man, that's where the good stuff happens. So I would say it's that thing of, just saying, like, uh, I love how when uh, the people asked Jesus where he was going, he would say, come and see. He didn't say, this is where we're going. We're checking into a hotel. We're doing this. We're doing that. He's like, I'll oh, just come and see. Hmm. More shared experiences. I'll take some more. Lindsay, I didn't know if you had any closing thoughts. No, I just think y- y'all both are masters at that, at just sort of inviting people in. And so I feel honored to get to be here with y'all and appreciate the way that you both have invited me in and called me towards bigger, better dreams. Yeah. Let me just also do a shout out to the people that have been listening. Uh, the people that are listening, oftentimes they're 
we're going through some difficult stuff and to acknowledge that and to say that's really hard stuff and you're smart enough to identify it. Now let's be smart enough to do something about it and to do the kind of self-care that you need. Uh, find some safe people around you, people that see lots of waterfalls and to say, this is going to be my next bold, risky move. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm going to do more better. <laughs> to say, I'm just going to try them all in and to see where it leads from there. And where it's going to lead is to a, a more updated version of each of us, like new day, new Bob. Yeah. Well, I think that and Lindsay, I, I would back up and just say you're pretty dang good at it yourself. So don't cut yourself short. You invite a broad circle of influence around a pretty special table. I've watched you do that and the way that you quietly lead. And it's really special. But I appreciate what you shared about the two of us as well. And uh, when it relate, when it comes to shared experiences, that, that would be my hope uh, for this message and for everybody out there listening. You know, we're in one of the more disconnected, challenging, stressful times in history right now. Uh, everybody kind of knows that we're facing some uncertain times. But uh, what if we could just take a little bit more time to pursue our truth and to stand in what matters and what is meaningful to us? When we walk out of this place with more meaning, we have more permission to be more sentimental, which gives us more permission for more shared, collective, meaningful experience. And that's what's living centered is all about. And that's who I know you to be, buddy. So I appreciate you spending time with us today and spending time with all of our friends. Oh man, so good. I'm just so filled with gratefulness for people that can go there and the people that bring me along and say, come and see. And I just don't know all the details, but it just reminds me this life we've got isn't a business trip. It's an adventure. And so thanks for being great Sherpas. Uh, guides tell you what, where to go and they cook the meals. Sherpas tell you what you don't need to carry anymore to get up the mountain you want to climb. <laughs> so You're awesome Sherpas. <laughs> All right, buddy. Thank you. We love you. Thanks for joining us for this conversation. If you want to hear more from OnSite, find us on social media at OnSite Workshops. You can also find me at Miles Edcox. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.